friends to Infertility and Me podcast, a safe space created with the silent sufferer in mind. I Am Podcast is dedicated to infertility advocacy and sharing diverse stories to help you feel validated, seen, and heard. I am your host, Monique Farouk, and I am one in eight two. Healing is best when done together. Hey friend, could you please do me the honor of leaving a five-star rating and review in Apple iTunes? This will increase our show's ranking and reach more friends who may be silently suffering with infertility too. We're stronger together, staying connected, getting plugged in. fertility in general, beginning at a very young age. And just tell me a little bit how you and hubby met and, and how that all started. Absolutely. And I want to say thank you for having me on this amazing platform. I'm really excited to speak about this. Never thought that I would be doing this, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, in such a public forum, and I'm, I'm happy to be doing it. Um, but yes, me and my husband, of course, everyone wants to know that we actually met in 2014 at my first job right out of grad school. Mm. Yeah, I I know a lot of people probably meet at work, but we did. And initially, you know, we were kind of tiptoeing around flirting and doing all that kind of stuff. We didn't know if we wanted to kind of broach that, that situation when we worked in a small office. But, you know, of course, things happen. And so we did end up kind of going public and becoming official in 2015. So we've been together for almost six years, but married for going on three. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yes. Oh my gosh. So <laughs> infertility. Here we yes. are. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. So paint for me a picture or paint for us a picture how your journey began at 11. I had one of those freak things that, that happened sometimes. I was on vacation with my family. We were up um, in the Philadelphia area mm-hmm. and I had a sudden pain on my, like in my lower right abdomen. And so of course, initially my mom and dad thought, oh, it, it must be an appendicitis or an appendix issue. So they, mm-hmm. rushed, they rushed me to CHOP, which is the Children's Hospital Philadelphia. They did a bunch of scans and they said, oh, no, this is not your appendix. This is your ovary. And I had what's called an uvrectomy, And that's just a fancy word for my my ovary actually twisted. So I had a torsion. Sometimes that's talked about when you, you're going through IVF. Like if you have the if you have OHSS, sometimes yeah. you can have that happen. I had that happen, obviously, at 11 with no, no thought about having a baby. I was not even, you know, I hadn't even started my period yet. So mm-hmm. I had that freak thing happen. The unfortunate thing is that the fallopian tube had cut off blood supply to the ovary. And so it had to be removed almost immediately to prevent it from rupturing or infection. So I had an emergency surgery to remove my right ovary, Mm -hmm. which left me with one, which as you know, many of us know, you can still get pregnant with one ovary. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so I went through that (laughs) at the age of 11. And then I can kind of continue on with my diagnoses. Yeah. So 11 years old, never thought a thing about it. When I was in my mid twenties, mm-hmm. I, I started to think about, you know, 
if I get married, when, you know, do I want to have children? What will my journey look like? And I was one of those women that always thought, you know, if, if I'm not married by my mid or early thirties, I'll just go have a baby on my own. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I knew I wanted to be a mom. That was really important to me. And I, I was very open with the method to get there. So whether mm-hmm. that was IVF or whatever, I just want to be a mother. I was about 25. I went in for my annual exam. Another thing that I'll always preach about, make sure you go and get your mm-hmm. hormones checked. You're going to get your paps done every year. So I did that. And my OB at the time, she said, oh, you know, something feels a little funny. Like mm-hmm. you know, one of your ovaries feels enlarged. So I'm going to send you for a vaginal ultrasound. <laughs> well, the next day I had that done. And lo and behold, on my left remaining ovary, I had mm-hmm. a benign ovarian tumor. So yet again, I had to have another surgery. And again, this was at 25. Luckily, it was benign. That was the worst week of my life waiting to find out if it was going to, yeah, if it was going to be cancer or not. But thank God it was benign. So I had another surgery. The surgeon that did my, my surgery, he's amazing. He was able to save my ovary. They didn't know that going into it because the tumor was just so large. Mm. And so, but they were able to save it. So I have no ovary on the right, still have my ovary on the left, which was great. And then back up now to earlier this year when we kind of started our our IVF journey, I also had a third surgery to remove my fallopian tubes. So that's that that's what I've been through. So the, the your why did your fallopian tubes needed to be removed? Did you have yeah, good, things? Good. Yes. Yeah, so good question. I did have hydro. Um, so I guess I'll I'll back up a little bit more. So, you know. After I met my husband, like I said, I met my husband shortly after I had my ovarian surgery back Mm -hmm. in 2015 or 2014. I'm sorry. I had it in 2014. When after about a year and a half of us dating, I mean, we knew right right away that this is it. Like we were going to get married. We were in it for the long haul. Um, So shortly before we got engaged, so this was probably in like the fall of 2016, I think, Mm -hmm. or 20. Yeah. Yeah. my, my husband at the, or boyfriend at the time, he was amazing. He said to me, he's like, why don't we just go to the doctor, get a full workup, okay. check your hormones, all that kind of stuff. So we did that. Everything, of course, came back normal. Like we've all been there. You know, it's like yeah, everything looks yeah. perfect. We don't know, you know, why you'd be having any issues getting pregnant. And I will say at that time, I, I got off birth control. So this was back in 2016 because, you know, in order to do all the tests, you have to kind of have your body rid of synthetic yeah. hormones. Mm-hmm. So everything came back normal. <clears throat> so... Fast forward six months, got married, all that kind of stuff. So now we're really trying, trying for real. We're doing the the timed intercourse thing and it wasn't working. And so when I finally got referred to my reproductive endocrinologist, she told me that, that your regular OBGYN counts your time of trying when you're actually doing timed intercourse. Mm -hmm. But my, my RE counts it when you get off, get off birth control, because she was like the average couple would have had a, you know, oopsie or they they would have gotten pregnant. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so by that point it's now what fall of 2019 and I've had no baby, no pregnancies, no miscarriages. And so she said, this is kind of a red flag that there's something else going on. So um, got the HSG, got a bunch of the other kind of standard tests that we're all familiar with. Um, it came back that I had developed hydro southings from mm-hmm. that surgery that I had in 2014. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, hydro can be very um, toxic to sperm, egg, embryo, all the above. Right. And so my chances of a natural conception were extremely low, like less than 8%. And so my doctor, although very aggressive, some probably would not have gone this route or they would have gotten a second opinion, but a second opinion, but I, I believed her because I hadn't gotten pregnant in four years after trying 
she said um, her recommendation would be to go through, um, do a couple IUIs, which we did and they failed, but then go through um, a cycle of IVF, do my egg retrieval, and then after that, have my tubes removed. Um, and that way, if anything, God forbid, went wrong, I would have my embryos on ice. So that's where we, yeah. You know, hydro style pinks is another one that comes up so often. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I just always, like lately I've been really thinking about one in eight. Mm-hmm. And I said it on another episode that'll come out. And I was like, you know, one in eight, that's when you go to the grocery store. When you're in your neighborhood, think about your neighborhood, especially if you live in like a large subdivision or something like that. And there's maybe 200 houses or 50 or 100 houses, one in eight couples. You know, that's it's just so it's so disheartening. And it, and it just so ha- tell me how you felt when you got your hydrosalphanx um, um, diagnosis, knowing that the cause of it was to correct another issue. Yeah, I. I was shocked um, because I thought I went through this, that surgery when I was 11, I had this, another kind of freak occurrence happen in 20, um, 2014, where I had to have an ovarian tumor removed. And I thought, okay, Lord, I've had two major abdominal surgeries already. You know, hopefully this is it. Right. (laughs) And so it's like you said, when I found out about the hydro diagnosis, and you can get hydro from a, no- a number of things. You can actually get it from STDs as well. Of course, exactly. that wasn't that yeah. wasn't my issue. It was it was a uh, direct result of the surgery. And because I had such a large tumor, and they had to basically cut me from like my belly button down to my top of my pubic bone to yeah. get the. It just left a lot of room for there to be a built up of, of fluid. And so, yeah, I was a little shocked. I was initially angry because I thought if I had never had that tumor then I probably would have never had hydro. I mean, again, I don't know. It could have been there from the first one, but it, it definitely, um, was like a contributing it, factor. Yeah. It was a contributing yeah. factor, but it also made sense because there were other things going on, like sometimes having pain with intercourse. Um, mm. and all I always thought, small signs yeah, all those, about, you exactly know? the small signs. And you start to wonder like, Oh, well it's, it's maybe it's normal to have pain and it's not right. You should not be having any kind of pain with normal intercourse, if, you know, if nothing is rough or any foul plays going on, it should be enjoyable. And so, which it was, it just sometimes was painful. And so when we got yeah. the diagnosis and then when I actually had my tubes removed, um, the doctor also said, you also had some endo, which would probably mm-hmm. was another contributing factor as to why you were having some, some pain and discomfort. And so mm-hmm. again, it's one of those other things that it can be easily misdiagnosed or you don't know it until you get an ultrasound or until you have a laparoscopic procedure mm-hmm. like I did. Um, and it sucks that you have to wait until you have a surgery to really find out what's what's going on. And you think about it, there's so many women, like you said, who are walking around who could have these issues, could be having pain, could be having terrible periods, and they think it's normal and it's it's not. Yeah. 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 So you guys tried for eight months and was mm-hmm. was your medicated IUI cycles during that eight months or after? It was after. So at my regular doctor, we did the timed intercourse and in- included, I would say, so we did, because she, I mean, again, she knew about all my issues. And so she mm-hmm. said, I'm not going to, she was great. She was like, I'm not going to prolong this. If after, you know, six to eight months, there's no pregnancy, I'm going to refer you. So we tried for six timed intercourse. And then we did two cycles of um, Clomid at the regular doctor. Uh, obviously did not work. And so at that point, that's when she said, I'm going to refer you out to your RE. And then after we did all the the testing, you know, we all know it takes a couple of months, sometimes three months 
we got we did our first IUI actually almost a year ago um, today mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, around the holidays. We did our first one, then we did it, we went right into a second one. Uh, of course, both of them were unsuccessful, and then the beginning of this year we started prepping for IVF. Okay. Isn't it funny how like some of the most major things we go through in infertility always happens around like the freaking holidays and the it new year. always, <laughs> it seems to always fall around that time. It's so crazy. Yeah, I, I know it, it, it sucks because if you have a successful cycle, then it's, it's something great to celebrate. But of course it doesn't always work out that way. A lot of us don't around the holidays. And so mm-hmm. then you're left with going to family and having to deal with a lot of questions about babies or people are posting all their Christmas announcements with little ones on the way. And it, it makes it very, very difficult to kind of get, get through the holidays. Yeah, yeah, it definitely does. And so after you had your surgery, your laparoscopic surgery and everything, uh-huh. and then you're ready to go for your retrieval. So talk, walk us through your retrieval that happened um, in March of 2020. Yeah, absolutely. So we actually, it was, it was flip-flop. So we did the retrieval first and then we did mm-hmm. the surgery and gotcha. that was just, okay. yeah, that, that was just to make sure, like um, I mentioned, if, if something were to go wrong in the surgery and like, let's say I lost my other ovary or whatever, mm-hmm. it wouldn't impact the eggs or the embryos that we already had in the freezer. So, um, sense, so yeah, started mm-hmm. IVF or stems the end of February of this year. Um, and I was one of the ones, my body responded really well to medications. That's annoying. I'm sure people are going to roll their eyes because I know so many don't, um, mm-hmm. but it, it did. And so I think I only stemmed for maybe like six or seven days. Um, okay. And then I had my retrieval on March the 2nd and we had great numbers. I, I don't know. I don't know if you want to know that I can go into it. I, sometimes I don't like to go into it because people compare, but we had really great results. Okay. Um, I also had cystic ovaries. So as we all know, people who have cystic ovaries tend to get a lot of eggs when they have retrieval. Yeah, yeah. Um, doesn't mean they're always great, but you know, you, you do get a large number. Um, and so we ended up with quite a few um, untested. We did not do PGT or PGS or whatever, um, but we do have quite a few embryos on ice. And so we did the retrieval. I had my surgery a couple of weeks later. So it was like back to back. I'm, I'm the type of person that like, I just want to get everything over with. So I just did, I was like moving full steam ahead, do, do IVF, do the retrieval, do, do the surgery, recover from that. And then COVID happened. Oh my God. Um, we go. yeah. <laughs> Yep. And so I would have had my looking, you know, looking back, it's probably a good thing that I had a break so that my body could really rest and recover. And I wasn't like just jumping into the next thing. But, um, but yeah, but my, my clinic closed the end of March, beginning Mm -hmm. of April, and it was closed, um, until May. So for a couple of months, um, and then we were able to transfer our one embryo in June and it was successful. So a lot of, a lot of craziness, a lot of pain, a lot of heartache, Um, but it ultimately led to, you know, my first time ever being pregnant. So it's been, it's been a crazy journey, but I guess a beautiful one. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just such a blessing because many of us walk away without the bundle as they they call it and have to be child free, you know, unless they seek other forms of paths to parenthood through adoption. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, some of us get really lucky and some of us, it just, continuously on this journey for a very long time and it's just so unfair and it's so unfair that you had to go through all that you went through prior to your big fat positive you know that's yeah. a lot to go through at as a as an um adolescent 
you yeah. know, with, with having major surgeries like that. That is a lot. That is a lot, a lot, a lot. And was there ever a time, especially before you got your big fat, big fat positive that you thought maybe it just wasn't going to happen? No, you, you can kind of call this like blind faith or Mm -hmm. ignorance or whatever, you know, but I, I always felt like I was going to be a mom. Um, and I, that doesn't necessarily mean, or I I didn't think that it meant I'd be carrying the child. I just knew that I was going to be a mother. So I didn't know whether that was adoption or, you know, uh, surrogacy, which I didn't even really know that was an option back in, in my early twenties, but, yeah, you know, but, but yeah. just thinking, but I just knew I was like, I want to be a mom. So whatever means that is to get there, um, I, I want it, I, hopefully it'll happen to me. And so when I met my husband and we were on the same page about building a family and, mm-hmm. you know, he, I, and there's something else too. I, I told him very early on that I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. I may or may not ever be able to have a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I was like, you, you can leave me. I don't want you to be stuck with me if because mm. you deserve to have a family. You know, we had that whole kind of conversation, too. And he told me I was stupid and all that kind of stuff. But, um, but yeah, I always wanted to be a mom. And so I – it's kind of like by any means necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just kind of went in into it with that that approach. And But because I, I just felt deep down inside that it was going to eventually work, that's just kind of how I approached everything, which is why – I, um, you know, whatever the, whatever the doctor said, if it, if if my heart, I felt that was the right thing. If I prayed about it and it felt right, I, I went forward with it. So having the surgeries, yeah, it was terrible. Um, when I was 11, that one didn't really even register with me because I was so young. The one Mm -hmm. that I had when I was in my mid twenties was definitely much worse. I also had a terrible recovery, um, Mm -hmm. because I was much thinner then. Um, but because of where the, the incision was, it actually ended up opening back up. Um, and so I had to have like a, a wound back and like all this crazy stuff. And so my recovery, which should have been like six weeks, ended up being 12 plus weeks, mm-hmm. lost a lot of weight, couldn't, you know, I wasn't active at all. Um, and so, yeah, that, that actually probably was harder on me that, that surgery than going through the actual infertility stuff, um, honestly. And then because of that surgery, it kind of resulted in me having to go this route. So like, mm-hmm. like I said, I, I put a lot of um, I have a lot of like pain associated with that second one. Okay. Um, but yeah, but to answer your question, I, you know, long story short, I did always feel like I was going to be, be a mother. And like I said, no matter what that looked like, um, I was just going to kind of keep going until, until I achieved it. Um, and so I'm, I'm happy that it worked out in this way, but I know it doesn't for a lot of people. Um, but yeah, but I, I just kind of kept, kept that, that blind faith and that, that hope that it would, it would work out. Yeah. Yeah. I totally get it because, um, and you know what, when you said earlier about like by any means necessary, I used to struggle with that a lot. I don't know if you ever felt like that at some point where it's like, Uh okay, I want to do what I can do, but I don't want to, you don't want to become obsessed, unhealthily obsessed about it either. And I think that we spend a lot of time being obsessed with our fertility. And I feel like, um, sometimes we also, once we, once we, you know, sometimes once you know there's an issue, it's like you want it even more, uh-huh. you know, and it becomes uh, toxic, positive uh, to a certain extent sometimes. Yep. And so how did you find balance in knowing that you wanted to do what you could do to become pregnant and to become a mom and to be, have your body healthy and stable and consistent enough to carry a life once you got that big fat positive as well? So how did you, how did you find balance with 
not being obsessive and being clear about what your path was and what the plan was with your doctors? Good, good question. Uh, if you ask my husband, he probably <laughs> would say <laughs> I was not balanced. Um, <laughs> That's okay. That what, we all yeah. <laughs> that that once we got you know referred to the infertility doctor. I mean, I was like that a little bit before, but once we kind of got into the you know the cycles and the timed mm-hmm. intercourse and the the, the medicine and all that kind of stuff, I became crazy mm-hmm. like like a lot of people did. It's all I thought about. It's all I talked about. You know. It was like, oh, sex for fun. What is that? You know, yeah, all, all yeah. that kind of stuff was out the window. Um, but I will say in a lot of ways, too, starting on our, you know, our IVF journey almost helped our relationship, too, because I think it also took the pressure away from how things were before when we were still trying to conceive naturally. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that happens with a lot of couples. They feel kind of like a weight is lifted off, whether they have success or not, because with IVF, you're, you don't, you're not having intercourse. Everything is based upon, you know, it's based mm-hmm. in the lab and mm-hmm. it's based on medication. And so, um, <laughs> you know, to find the balance, like I said, when I was going through it, I don't think I was that balanced, but I did try to you know, work out, you know, pre-COVID, I, I was really into spin. And so I would go to my spin studio multiple times a week. Um, you know, I just would try to kind of involve myself with work. I would journal, I would pray, you know, I'm a mm-hmm. spiritual person. And so I, I really did lean really heavily on, on, you know, my, my God and my faith to kind of get me through a lot of the hard times. Um, I have a dog and he's, he was our, our first baby and he'll always be. And so he was also a big source of comfort. Um, you know, when we kept getting, you know, negative, negative tests or having, you know, getting bad news and things like that. So, I mean, I, I just tried to do whatever I could, what, what most people try is like any little thing, wine, (laughs) working out, you know, trying to lean on family. And then, you know, of course this, you know, infertility community, I kind of came into it late because I didn't document my journey like so many others do on social media. I just, I was, I was scared to do it. I was kind of embarrassed as well. Um, Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. now I'm, I'm open about it now that I'm on the other side and I wish that I, maybe I should have been more, um, open with it in the beginning. Cause then I would have met people earlier on, but I did meet a few people towards the end, like when I was going through IVF. And so they actually became some of my best friends because mm-hmm. as we all know, and probably can relate our friends that do not go through infertility and have children relatively easily. It's incredibly difficult for them to understand yeah. the process. Yeah. And um, support so I, you. Yeah. It, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Even though they try, it's just that you, you just can't wrap your head around it unless you've been no, through it. So really having, can. having that support system, um, of our, you know, infertility sisters in the community that have been through it as well. And then also giving like my husband a break and not dumping it all on him because he was dealing with his own stuff with the pregnancy. And I think mm-hmm. we also forget about our husbands <laughs> sometimes. So um, much. yeah. So I, I wanted to have an outlet that wasn't dumping on him all the time yeah yeah and I think it's important for women to have that kind of support mm-hmm. in, in and out of fertility or anything else in life you know it's, yeah, absolutely um, because our, our spouses can't be everything to yep. us and even though the road to par- parenthood when in terms of infertility is difficult um I just I really wish I had had more support too I definitely totally resonate with you on that and I was on Instagram for a little while while we were um, going through it, when I the summer that I got pregnant with my son, and uh-huh. I ended up eventually getting off of it. I've told this story before because one of my cousins, my page was recommended to one of my cousins, my male cousins from New Jersey that I'm actually really close to, 
but I didn't have any, I didn't tell anybody in my family besides my, my aunt and my grandmother that I was, you know, going through it along with my dad and my mom. Uh-huh. And, um, I, I, I closed the page because of that embarrassment that you, that you were talking about. Right. You know, like, why do we do that? I, why, why do we do that to ourselves? <laughs> you know I, what I, mean? I, I know. I, I don't, I don't understand it either because yeah, it's like you said, one in eight, it, it's, it's becoming more and more common and it's probably going to just continue to grow, unfortunately in that way. And I, I don't know why we're embarrassed. I guess it, it makes you, makes you feel inadequate or like motherhood is supposed to be the most natural, mm-hmm. um, you know, gift that we're given when we're born. I mean, we have all of our eggs as women when we're in, in utero at such a young you know, as fetuses. And so you just think, oh, this is supposed to be a natural thing. You know, you just, you have intercourse. I mean, young 16 year olds get pregnant all the time. And so when you're, you know, in your late twenties, early thirties or whatever age, and you're trying to start a family and you think, why can this, you know, teenager get pregnant? Why can this person get pregnant and this person get pregnant? But I I cannot. So there, I think there is a sense of shame, um, that, that surrounds Mm -hmm. it for sure. And it's funny because I find it interesting um, and I'm not, I'm not trying to make you feel bad or anything like that, but I find no. it interesting that you still felt the shame and the embarrassment, even though having that pre-existing condition yes. um, from an adolescent age, you know, and it's just, it just goes to show that, you know, emotional states and mental states, it really runs deep and it doesn't matter how you got to the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. It's all just the same, you know, the embarrassment and the shame and the, the lack of feeling like you're less than you know, and that your body has failed you and all these things. And, oh, you know, infertility is a lot, you guys. It is. It, it is a it lot. Is a it's lot. not it's a for ton. the faint of heart. <laughs> not at all. And, yeah, unfortunately, I find that a lot of people are going through it and they have mental, mental um, impairments and uh, emotional uh, impairments before infertility. You have you've been dealing with anxiety and depression long before infertility and then, and then they just get diagnosed with infertility it makes it 10 times worse and so my heart really goes out to your friends if you're dealing with anything like that along your journey oh oh you yeah know? i i had anxiety i mean i, I still do but i okay. yes i i definitely was was an anxious person went to therapy for it you know mm-hmm. didn't didn't have to take any medication or anything um you know for me personally but yeah i mean i when i would go to the doctor the the anxiety was definitely related to the infertility, the infertility was related to the, you know, the anxiety mm-hmm. and then all, all that, that came with it. Um, so it, yeah, it does. It's like you said, it, it's like on top of having this disease because infertility is a disease. You also have to worry about your mental health, um, and all that takes a toll. And, you know, I couldn't have even imagined if I had been, you know, one of those women who had experienced multiple miscarriages, like along with my journey, like how would that have wrecked me? You know, how would I, then look at infertility mm-hmm. and, you know, every, I think it would be a different lens, um, for sure. So it's all just really hard. Yeah, it is really hard. You know, I, I always, I always think about this one aspect of, of being diagnosis. We're already fighting for insurance companies to cover it at least a couple of cycles, you know, mm-hmm. um, nationwide and worldwide. And then also having them cover mental health therapy while you're right. in it. And, yep. and for both couples and, you know, for both couple, couples and single people or individuals, whoever wants to go, just pay for that, too, because uh-huh. I think that it's important that um, that that the, <laughs> there's a lot of miscarriages. You know, there's yeah. just so much trauma that happens and then having physical trauma like yourself, someone who's had all these surgeries before the age of 30, you know. Yeah. And, and, and so how is that playing a role in 
your emotional state being pregnant now? Um, you know, it's it's something I thought about because I, I always wondered, I, I never had any issues with my uterus, so I never doubted that I could carry a baby or, okay. you know, sustain a life. Because like I said, I, I had never been pregnant up until June. So right. um, I assumed that I never had any chemical pregnancies or anything like that. Um, but, you know, I just, I, I just, I don't know. I just didn't think that was going to be an issue. At least like I might've had issues with my fallopian tubes, my, in my ovaries, but my uterus seemed to be in working order. Um, but I mean, it was difficult when I went into it, I started thinking about, cause I have a pretty, pretty gnarly scar on my stomach from that's the second surgery that mm-hmm. I had. Um, mainly because like I said, the scar opened up. Um, mm-hmm. and so it, the healing process was really long. And so that was a source of insecurity for me even before I got pregnant. But just like when I was, you know, with my, my, my now husband, but when we were dating, I mean, you know, phys- physically being insecure about the scar. And then, um, now that I've been pregnant, um, there are some, some things that like my doctors have talked to me about, like the, with scar tissue that yeah. as I get further along and I get towards the end of, end of the third trimester, it could become painful, especially because where the scar is, it's pretty low. Like I said, right below my belly button. And so <laughs> that's where a lot of pressure could build up. Um, there's also, uh, some things to consider in terms of like my, my birth plan, you know, they're really going to push and I have a great, great team. I have great midwives and a doctor, but, you know, really hoping to have a vaginal delivery because I've already had three abdominal surgeries now. Um, and so ha- having a C-section would be, it would be complicated. It probably would be much longer, um, you know, process in terms of cutting me open and then sewing me back up and then my, my recovery and I I could lose a lot of blood. So all that going into it, I mean, it does make me a little bit nervous. Um, I know that with, you know, well, with any child, it's, it's, it's based on the baby and what the baby wants to do when the baby's ready to come. But, you know, with first time pregnancies, we all know how the baby could be late. You might have to get induced. Um, and so I do worry a little bit, although I try not to what, what my, my labor will look like, what, what it'll, it'll be like if I'll be able to hopefully vaginally deliver. So I don't have to go through yet another surgery. That's yeah. kind of my, my worst fear. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I had a cesarean, so I've uh-huh. got my fingers crossed too for you. Guys <laughs> Thanks. I know exactly what it feels like to have abdominal surgery. It's uh-huh. no joke. It's no joke time and sharing you. your journey with us and also, just being a face and a voice for brown-skinned women and all our fertility yes. and infertility friends and brothers and, yeah. and sisters. We and are few and far between, yes. Aren't we? It's so <laughs> ridiculous. It's so crazy. Yeah. But I'm so glad that you have decided to talk about your journey openly. And either way, I would have loved to have had you either way. So Thank if you. you can say anything to a friend today, what, what advice would you have for them? You know, anyone, you know, I, I, this has been talked about and I know um, there's another community infertility rally and all, all rally and all these different uh, forums, but they talk yeah. about infertility is the worst club with the best members. And I, I absolutely think that is true. If you're in this club, it sucks. And I'm sorry that you're in it, but you're going to be surrounded by such a great support system and so many you know, um, just, just an avenue to get so many questions answered and to ha- talk about your experiences and hear from women from all over all different walks of life. And like you just alluded, hopefully in our Brown community, that that's something else that we can, you know, increasingly provide to our, our sisters and brothers. But I would say, you know, to stick with it and kind of like with my mentality, I, I was just, I was willing to have a baby by any means necessary. And so was my husband. And so, like I said, whether that meant adoption, whether that meant surrogacy, 
whether that meant a donor or whatever, whatever the process, um, we were just willing to do it. And so I think we sometimes get so caught up on wanting to carry our own child, which is amazing if you can do that. But if you want a baby and you really believe that, I think that that, that will become your, your life's work. Um, as long as you have an open mind. And I think that's something important, um, as you kind of go through this journey is to keep an open mind, um, and then keep the faith and, and just find, find ways to, to survive it. I mean, that, that really is, is the, the kind of the best advice I can offer. Yeah, definitely have to use all of our tools that we get hold of in therapy if we truly need it and feel like Mm -hmm. we need someone to talk to outside of our spouse because we can't be everything to every everybody and they need help too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's great advice. Is just using your tools and being open. Yeah, being open is definitely, definitely um, a great option. And and yeah, I just love it. I thank you, girl. You're amazing. Well, I thank you. Thank you so much, Monique. I appreciate it. If you enjoyed today's episode, friend. Take a screenshot and let me know on Instagram and tag Infertility and Me Podcast. You can also reach me at infertilityandmepodcast.com with your questions, comments, and feedback.